When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Lucas. I got Chris here, my co-host, and then I got Uriah here, our producer. Hey guys, what do you guys do this weekend? Uh, well, I, I've spent most of the weekend just kind of being sad about the James Harden trade. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I bet. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. What about you, Uriah? I'm actually looking forward to um, the podcast, and this is Martin Luther King weekend, and always, uh, I'm a teacher, if people don't know, I I really enjoy going over lessons with my students about the contributions of Dr. King, and just a nice reflective moment for me and and, uh, for the country in terms of, you know, just moving forward and and just improving, improving society as, as a whole. That's that's profoundly deep. And here I was going to brag about having a good pickup game yesterday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just I really enjoy King Weekend. It, it, it's a it's a meaningful weekend. Dr. King was uh, actually of course one of my heroes growing up. Still is one of my heroes. So, but tell us about your pickup game. Did you score more points than Ben Simmons? I, I probably did. Honestly, I was on fire. I had a backdoor. I, I blew back. My defender wasn't ready for me the first play, so I blew uh, blew back past him for a layup, and then I posted him up two times in a row. Got him on a pump f- uh, ball fake uh, up and under uh, hook shot. Uh, nice. Post him from the left and right side, and then I got him on a mid range jumper, Ooh. and then I think I hit him on one more shot, like at the near the foul line, but still inside the paint. Cool, man. And then the next game, I was so out of energy that I could not barely make a shot. I think I made one shot that next game. I was so – I'm not in shape, people. That was my second time playing basketball in the past three years. The first time came in November. So I was extremely out of shape. What do you guys play to? You guys played 11 uh, or 16? We played to 12 the first game and then 16 the second game. And this is after we played a long game of 21 because – we decided to do tips. I don't like tips, but they wanted to do tips, so we did tips. Nice. But, Chris, I think it's time for you to lament about the James Harden, the the trade that did not happen, the James Harden mm-hmm. trade. Go, go. Yeah. Tell us, our, tell us your sorrows. Yeah. So, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast knows, James Harden was traded 
to the Brooklyn Nets for four first-round picks, four pick swaps, and Karis LeVert, who got turned into Victor Oladipo. Uh, they sent you know, Jared Allen, not, too. Yeah, and... Jared Allen went to Cleveland, some other moving pieces. Yeah, I We've written plenty about it on the site. Obviously, I think everyone should go check that out if they can. Um, not a lot to say from Philly's perspective, obviously, because they – they didn't get James Harden, but I know a lot of people have some strong feelings about Ben Simmons. I've been sitting with those feelings myself. I know, you know, a lot of Sixer guys that I've talked to have as well. Uh, Lucas, just off the top of, you know, to start this off, do you think the Sixers are better off keeping Ben around and allowing James to go to the Nets? I don't know if allowing is the right word. We can maybe get into that. But do you think they're better off with Ben? And what are your what were your initial thoughts about the trade? For most of our listeners, they know that I was a long proponent of keeping Ben, but recent play from Ben Simmons and his play this whole entire season has very much changed my viewpoint on it. And I wrote an article maybe about, and I published it about two hours before that Harden deal actually happened about how it's okay for Ben Simmons fans to let James, to let Ben go to Houston. And the reason being is this guys. Ben, I, I, I truly believe that Ben Simmons has reached his peak. And it's not because he physically couldn't do better, is that he mentally won't do better. He, he's gotten into the mindset that he doesn't care about offense, which is fine. That's fine. I mean, granted, it's a shame that you're not exploiting your physical gifts more often, but at the same token, like if you're going to be Draymond Green, that's not a bad comparison. He's arguably a future Hall of Famer. I think we can all say that. Multi-time All-Star, Defensive Player of the Year candidate multiple times. Playmaker, uh, what is it, point forward. So it's not a bad comparison, but I, Chris, you highlighted it in your article that you uh, put out today. Chris, what's the name of that article again so our, our listeners can uh, read it after this? Uh, the title's It's Time to Worry About Ben Simmons. Exactly. It is time to worry because unlike Draymond Green, Ben can't play off the ball. He doesn't back cut. He doesn't move without the ball. He doesn't off. He, I mean, he can offensive rebound, but it's not a strong point of his game. He doesn't spot up. He rarely spots up. Um, the other thing that I want to say that I'm worried about Ben Simmons is beyond that is that his I don't think his knee's healthy I know he says that his knee's healthy but that's the same knee he he had uh he had to get surgery on uh during the bubble and the fact that he's already having swelling in it is concerning and while you know he still has that his leaping ability I think that there's a chance that that lateral movement and that end-to-end speed has been reduced some and maybe he's just afraid to get it you know get contact with it because he already doesn't like contact. We know this. Um, the last night he did try. You got to give him credit for that. But I think it's, I think if you're going to move on from Ben Simmons, because I think he's reached his ceiling and we know that this Ben Simmons and Joel B can't win a championship by themselves. If you're going to move on from Ben Simmons, I was okay with it being James Harden, knowing that Ben Simmons has probably reached his peak. Yeah, I I mean, my stance on this has been pretty consistent since the Harden rumors started. You know, I've always been in favor of trading for him. Uh, it seems pretty clear at this point that Daryl Morey in the Sixers front office was also in favor of trading for him. Um, 
We have the quote here from Keith Pompey, uh, quote, the Sixers thought they had a deal for Harden done, according to sources. The team won't come out and say it, but Maury pushed hard to reunite with the 2018 MVP. As a result, Simmons and Thibel were even informed by their agents on Wednesday of an expected trade. We obviously weren't in the, you know, war rooms when this trade went down. We don't know every perspective or every detail. I'm sure we'll hear plenty about it in the coming years as these things play out. But from the outside looking in, it seems pretty clear that Philly thought they had an offer that was suitable and that Houston kind of pulled the rug out from under them, took the Brooklyn deal, maybe didn't let them counter uh, Brooklyn's final offer. seems pretty clear that Houston really didn't want to trade James to Philly because of the obvious Daryl Morey connection, maybe some petty on, on their end with Tillman Fertitta. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's a pretty rough blow, I think. The Sixers should have been willing to give up uh, whatever needed to be given up to get James here. If that was Ben Simmons, Matisse Thibel, Tyrese Maxey, and a, a few picks, I would have done that pretty in a heartbeat. Uh, I don't know if I would have done Maxey, but I, I I get what you're saying, though. I mean, and yeah, I, I just I can't imagine getting hung up on a 6'2 rookie when it comes to James Harden. I, I mean, Maxey looks I mean, great. I, I understand, mm-hmm. but he's just there. There are other chances to draft decent, quick guards in the draft. I'm not saying Maxi isn't going to be a pretty special player, but uh, I, it's James Harden. Like again, well, well, if they would have traded, gone through with the trade, they wouldn't have had a chance to get quick guards in the draft because they would have mortgaged their draft future. That's true. Uh, but the, you have the, James the, Harden. The, yeah, for James Harden. I which... mean, I think James and Shake is a pretty suitable guard tandem for the future. Oh you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I, I get what you're saying. And the other thing that I think should be pointed out is that according, I forget which all uh, which writer wrote this, but according to ESPN, the Rockets took the deal with Nets because they valued picks over players more. Yeah. And the Nets just had more picks because the Sixers already sent their uh, 2025 20, 20, 20, pick to the uh, uh, Thunder to get off of Al Horford, which was the right move. So and I thought I thought I heard somewhere during like the chaos of it all, and I can't can't tell you who tweeted it, but somebody tweeted that the Sixers. I think it was I think it was Chris Haynes of Yahoo, but don't don't quote me on that, guys. Uh, I think he said that the Sixers were in a frenzy trying trying to find more draft assets. It was either him or Mark uh, Stein of the uh, New York Daily News, I think, or New York Times. New York Times. That's what it was. Yeah. So. I think it doesn't matter who reported it. That's what I remember reading during the hours and minutes leading up to the actual consummation of that trade. So there's so much that comes goes into that. But like I said, it's it's hard. I trust Daryl Morey's evaluation of young talent. He's hit on a lot of draft picks in the past. And if he thinks Maxi's too valuable not to include in a James Harden trade, then I trust his judgment on that. He's yeah. earned that from me. I mean, I, I I understand that, but at the same time, I I mean, it was obviously pretty pretty clearly a mistake for a lot of teams that he dropped to twenty one. But on the other side of that coin, there there are reasons he dropped to twenty one. He's by no means a perfect prospect. And it, again, it's James Harden. He's a top five player in my view. He gives the Sixers a real chance or would have given them a real chance to compete. I really don't think they have that now, especially with Brooklyn being 
what Brooklyn is. Um, I don't want to get into like analyzing Houston's side of the deal here. Like I would have taken Ben Simmons and Matisse and two or three picks over the Brooklyn package. Frankly, uh, Victor Oladipo is probably going to leave this summer, and then you're stuck with four picks, one of which is a Bucks pick that's not going to be very good, and some swaps that may or may not work out if Brooklyn is able to sustain this. Like this, this well, the is net not... picks probably aren't going to be good the first couple of years either, yeah. Chris. So there's a chance that's just really not a good package for James Harden. Uh, if mm-hmm. the Nets bought him out like they did when they traded for KG, then it would look great. But uh, Kevin Durant and James Harden are not are not the same as those players were at that point in their career. So it's well, I will say this. They can flip Victor Oladipo again before the trade deadline. Yeah, so but maybe you're not going to get, try like an, flip not him. get a 24-year-old all-star defensive player of the year candidate who's locked up for five years. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. For sure. For sure. No. Unless they trade for Bradley Beal. Gosh, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, and Lucas, how how do you think Ben's name being involved in these trade rumors have have impacted his psyche and will continue to impact his psyche? And do you think it's going to affect his play moving forward? So my initial thought was, oh gosh, he's going to want out. He's going to want out. And then he came out with the comments saying that I'm happy that I didn't get traded. And then I'm like, okay, well maybe he will use this as you know fuel to flame the fires of growth. And, I mean, we saw last night's game. He tried to shoot. He did. He tried to be more aggressive. It just didn't work out. And I'm not going to bash the guy for, you know, we complain about him never trying to shoot mid-rangers and outside shots. He did. He didn't make it. That's okay, though. He tried. I give him credit for that. I'm not going to be mad about that. But overall, I just haven't, like, there's much to be desired. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much left to be desired. And I just, I think it's going to mess with his psyche. And honestly, if if I was him, I would ask out because I know that, and I mean, I know that probably most other teams, I would be like the featured player. But right now, it's Joel Embiid, rightfully so. And it's at the point now doc rivers isn't really using. And I think you wrote this in your article about how doc rivers isn't really using him as a screener. And which I think we all thought that would be the case with maxi and Curry and shake Milton, all being ball handlers available to run the pick and roll with them. We haven't really seen that. And I just, I think if I was Ben and I know he's represented by clutch sports, I know how they work. I think that eventually, maybe not this year, but maybe this offseason or the next year, I wouldn't be surprised if he asked out. Yeah. I mean, I I would disagree. I don't really think he has the leverage with how he's playing of late to ask out. He's on a he's on contract for another four years after this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really hard when you like Harden, he still he only has two, you know, and he A D only had one. Like it, it's really hard. He doesn't have a ton of leverage in this situation. He's the Sixers' second best player who hasn't played up to expectations of late. I mean, it's hard to justify asking out. I, the Sixers would be under no obligation to trade him, though I think there are clearly, myself included, more people who are open to the idea of exploring other trades. Me too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just tough. I, I don't want to bash Simmons too hard because I still think mm-hmm. despite all the noise that he's a tremendous player with a lot of 
gifts and talents, and he can still impact winning in a positive way. I think he can still impact winning in Philadelphia, but can he, as the number two to Joel Embiid, can the Sixers win a championship like that? I I, mm. I doubt it. I don't think they can. Mm. I think Brooklyn being Brooklyn again makes it even harder because they're pretty clearly the favorites in the East to me. And then you got Milwaukee with Giannis and Drew and Middleton, who uh, Middleton's you know, looking good this year. The... Middleton's looking good this year. Yeah, I mean he's looked good every year for the past few years. I mean he's but, a great but... player. He's Probably. looking better anyway. Yeah. I mean, Middleton's a top 25 player. I mean, he's, he's mm-hmm. just a tremendous talent. I think the Bucks still deserve some benefit of the doubt, especially after adding Drew. Giannis is all in. Um, so it, it's tough. I, Philly's in between a rock and a hard place where I don't know how you get fair value for Ben at this point on the trade market, but I don't know if this team is currently constructed can win a championship. There's not a ton of flexibility, again, because of the Harris contract, which is sucking up $36 million in cap space every year. So it's going to be really tough to navigate. I I don't think it's going to impact Ben's psyche too much. I, I think he's going to play better as the season goes on. I, I think he's in a bit of a funk right now, a funk that he can get out of. But Derek Bodner put it pretty concisely in his article. Ben is shooting like 40% fewer shots off of drives than he was his rookie year. He's just not being as aggressive, taking contact as, as often as he should. Maybe that it does have something to do with his knee that you mentioned, Lucas. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think I feel like the Sixers would be – part of me feels like they would be making a bigger deal out of that, you know, listing him on injury reports more frequently, keeping him out of games, that maybe they want to preserve his trade value. I don't know. That really wouldn't work because you have to take a physical. To, but I, I don't know. It, it's tough. I'll say this. There's really only one star that could become available right now that you would trade Ben Simmons for, in my opinion, and that's Bradley Beal. But he has yet to become available. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and again, I, I, I don't think sorry, go ahead. Washington would do it. We, we talked I about don't think they before. would either. It, yeah. it doesn't make sense with him and Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that'd basically be a waste of two seasons off the bat. You're not trading Westbrook. No one's going to take him. It's not a great fit. Um, I mean, I, I like the roster without Westbrook around Ben. I think it'd be a pretty clean fit, but Westbrook makes that pretty tough. That would be a big team, wouldn't it? You got Troy Brown Jr., you got Isaac Abongo, you got uh, Denny Avid. I can't pronounce his last name, the rookie. The guy from Israel. Um, and then Rui Hachimura, Thomas Bryan, when he gets back healthy. That's not a bad roster to have around Ben. Yeah, no, they got a lot of athletes, a lot of shooters. Uh, Davis Berton's obviously a big one. Oh, yes, of course. But, yeah, I think the Westbrook thing makes that kind of a no-go for them. But um, So I want to switch gears for because we talked about Ben's knee, but we have to talk about Joel's knee. He didn't travel for the Memphis game. The OKC game got canceled tonight. Um, we're recording this on Sunday night, by the way, guys, um, because of contact tracing with the Grizzlies. Something's going on there because they had to contract that contact trace with their the team that they played previously, which I believe was the Timberwolves. Anyway, so um, that game got canceled again, but Ben Simmons didn't travel on this two-game road trip. Chris, is Joel's knee a concern right now? For Should fans be concerned, and are, and are you concerned about it? Not really. I mean, it, 
the team has basically said that they aren't concerned, that this is mostly precautionary. I think at this point in his career, Joe knows that he needs to take care of his body and take precautions uh, that he maybe wasn't taking earlier in his career when he tried to play through things. I I really don't think this is a big deal. I think it's smart to hold him out of back-to-backs when when they're not absolutely confident. Uh, but, yeah, I'm I'm not really worried about it. I think he's going to be fine long term and it it especially given the way this season is going, you know, one or two game absences really aren't really a big concern for me. Yeah, I was about to say the back-to-back thing too. It's a back-to-back. Joel doesn't usually play back-to-backs. Not a big issue. I don't think we need to really dive too much into that. It's 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 load management without them actually saying load management, and that's okay. We expect this. Doc Rivers was kind of all for it when he during his introductory press conference, so I'm not surprised here. I'm not worried about. It. I'm more, like I said, I'm more worried about Ben's knee than I I am Joel's knee, just because the you know recent surgery on Ben's knee and just the down tick and play and the fact that he's already been held out because of swelling in there. So, but that's just my opinion on that. But so Chris, Joel Embiid right now is playing at the highest level of his career that can be reflected in the game against Miami where he went out and had 45, 16, four and five. What are, what is your feeling about how he took that game over? I mean, I I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching Joel Embiid at his best. I think he's one of the 10 best players on the planet. I think this is so far, has been the best season of his career, injuries notwithstanding. Um, as we've said on the site, as has been said all over the place, he's he's putting together a pretty, pretty solid campaign for MVP. Again, injuries notwithstanding. I don't know if he's going to win it. There are other guys, you know, Luka, LeBron, who are probably going to beat him out in that regard, but... Philly's off to a good start. They they've been they've only lost one game with him in the rotation, I believe. Um, yeah, and that was against the Hawks when they were half. Uh, they still were missing half yeah. the team. Yeah, or one or two. I know they lost the Nets game, but oh yes. Um, yeah, they've been really good with Embiid on the floor. I think the shooters around him have helped a lot. He's obviously much more confident in passing it out to teammates than he was last season. Uh, he's he's cut down on turnovers. He's been as good defensively as we've ever seen him. The the other side of that is they were basically playing the Miami Heat version of the Sixers against Denver, where they were missing eight players and they were down to the bottom of the bench, and mm-hmm. he needed to score forty five for them to win in overtime because none of his teammates showed up. Ben fouled out of that game. That was probably Ben's worst game of the season. Tyrese Maxey well, fouled out. He just mm-hmm. didn't get much help at all that game. Well, to be fair, we were missing Shake and Tobias, who were like two of our top four yeah. scores. Yeah, the Sixers were shorthanded as well. But, I mean, mainly it's it's like Ben, again, just not stepping up when he needs to step up. And mm-hmm. probably the beginning of his really particularly rough stretch these past few games. So that was another takeaway, is they probably mm-hmm. didn't need Joel to play a million minutes and go for 45 points that team that shouldn't be the case even with Tobias and shakeout but uh, I mean Joel's really good at basketball so that that's my main takeaway so so I guess um 
that kind of I, so I'm not even going to touch on that because you pretty much said everything that I was going to say on that you know just I did like the fact that he could be a clutch time player he's starting to show that clutch time which you don't see in centers like you don't see what? a center taking the last shot you know I mean, you know having the so that's that's a positive I think centers too I mean but not recently Jokic has hit a ton of clutch shots. Davis, if we consider him a center, has hit some clutch shots. So there okay, are other- but Joel's entering that that realm, though. That's that's, sure. that's yeah. You don't see it often. Let me rephrase. You don't see it often, and Joel's entering that realm. So that's that's a very positive uh, feel there. But I guess now that we're talking about Jokic and Davis, let's get, Chris. Let's just get into it. Is Joel Embiid the best center in the NBA right now? Let's just say Davis isn't a center. We put him at power forward because he starts there. Is he the best center in the NBA? I uh, yeah, it's tough. Again, I before the season I put Jokic ahead of him. Mm-hmm. If we're talking top three or four or five MVP candidates, Jokic is pretty far up there too. He's been having pretty tremendous season himself averaging a triple double with assist yeah like Jokic is a just bonkers how good he is offensively one of the smartest craftiest players of all time at seven feet um he's the best passing center in NBA history yeah he might be the best passer in the NBA right now uh Mm -hmm. he's insane so agreed I I I think if you're gonna really break this down you, you you know, you have to bring playoff performances into it. Jokic probably gets the edge there, being that Denver made it to the conference finals last season. But it, it's he had a much better team again around him, and Joel Embiid literally yeah, had did everything. Yeah, so yeah, it's I'm not tough. gonna. They're both playing really great right now. It's it's a coin flip. I, I wouldn't be. It depends upset on either. how much you you value passing over defense. That's what it comes down to, because. Scoring, rebounding, is the same. And my, it, it maybe Joel Embiid slightly better at both, but not by a large margin. Jokic is an extremely better passer. Like we we've already sung his praise. We don't need to say it again. But Joel Embiid by far is better of the two defensively. It's always been the case. And the Nuggets aren't don't even have a winning record right now. I don't think. And the Sixers are nearly perfect with Joel Embiid in the lineup. So. Mm-hmm. That's what I think it comes down to. Like, <laughs> Jokic isn't bad defensively, but he's not good. And yeah. Joel, I mean, like I you've said multiple records. times, is his own defensive scheme. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so. Embiid is much better defensively. I think Jokic is still, as good as Embiid has been offensively, I think Jokic is still pretty far ahead of Embiid offensively. Maybe not far, but he's 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 the better offensive player. Um well oh, hold up. Are you let's exclude passing. Are we saying that Jokic well, is the better scorer? Passing that, well, let's just say let's just go for scoring. Pure scoring. I mean, Embiid is a better scorer, but that that's, okay. when you're characterizing someone's impact on the offense, that that's really irrelevant, you know, to take pick and choose no, no, no. I was just wanted to break it down by section. I wasn't picking and choosing. I was just breaking yeah, it down by section. I, I think it's much easier to build a successful offense around Jokic. Uh, it, again, I think Jokic is a much better defender uh, than he gets credit for, but Embiid's clearly better there. So, yeah, it's a coin flip. I, I'm really I'm hesitant yeah. to pick a side here. I think it just depends on what you value more. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... what do you think translates to the playoffs better? Mm-hmm. Can you win a championship with a def- not a with a guy of Jokic's defensive abilities anchoring the center of your defense? I think so. They've they got pretty so? close. They got pretty close last season. So I think it's definitely possible. Would they have beat the Heat if they would have met them in the finals? I, I think I think so. You think so? Oh, that I think that's a coin flip right there, but that's another debate for another day. I think they give L, they I think they gave LA a, a better push than Miami did. That's I that's think both won six games, but I think Denver's was a closer six games. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Well, Chris, you're going to talk about our, or probably a, one of our favorite players on this team. So go ahead, go for yeah. it. So we're going to talk about the Sixers' uh, second best player, Shake Milton. Pretty he's, much. He's been quite good of late. Uh, oh, I, a much different narrative than that around Finn uh, at the moment. Last four games, averaging 25.5 points, 5.3 assists, shooting 64% from the field. He had 31 against Miami the other night, came back with 28 against Memphis, uh, back-to-back after returning from his time off due to the COVID protocols. Shake's been really, really good this season. Uh basically has continued that upward trajectory that a lot of us were hoping he would continue from last season. Speaking of the past two games, specifically Lucas and, and kind of putting it in context of the past couple of years, where do you think shake has gotten better? How do you think he's gotten to this point and what, what's his impact on the team at this point in time? I think it has to do everything with confidence. I think to begin the season outside that first game, he had a rough stretch and I think, trying to find his niche in the offense, especially with the emergence of Seth Curry. Um, You know, it was like, where did he stand? And I think he had to figure that out. And I think the team had to figure that out. I think he was lacking a little bit of confidence sometimes because his shot, the the amount of shots that he took per game were everywhere in the first five games. But then he kind of, after the protocols and after Seth went out, I think he's really found his groove. I think that Seth, when he comes back, Seth is okay with taking a smaller role. So I don't think that's going to impact Milton at all. I think it's all has to do with confidence. And this is, he's doing all this, Chris, without his three-point shot falling. When that starts falling on a regular basis, back to like, let's just say it goes, because it's like in the 20s right now. What is it, like 20... What is it, like 29? Is that correct, Chris? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I can look it up. It's 33. I can look it up real quick. 33. Okay, so it's 33. Let's just say he brings that back up to like between 36 and 37. Um, Chris, he's going to be – I mean, we he still doesn't have that quick t- – you know, that second – that really quick first step. But the strength that he's added in the offseason has helped offset that. And I think this has everything to do with confidence. And I think this has everything to do with the fact that he knows his role now. And he's comfortable within Doc Rivers' system. I think that's the key here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Doc has done a pretty good job of instilling that confidence in Shake. He has been very vocal in his confidence with Shake since the beginning. You know, he's pretty much said he wants Shake playing that Lou Williams type role where he's just out there to make, you know, get buckets. Um, Shake and he's is a better passer cool. than Lou. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Lou's a pretty, pretty nifty passer, right? Yeah. But 
I, I think he's definitely better than Lou at this stage in their respective oh, yeah. careers. I think Lou's mm-hmm. starting to go downhill pretty severely. Um, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. Um, but Shake has been tremendous. He's really transformed into a re- pretty remarkable shot maker. I don't know if anyone saw that coming out of SMU, and I was pretty high on him coming out of SMU. Um, the defense has improved quite a bit this season. Uh, still, still some shaky ground, but he's much better. That goes back Pass to the strength he added, uh, as you said. And uh, he's 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 very clearly kind of entrenched in that sixth man role we've seen it these past couple games even with curry out uh they're starting maxi over shake at the two guard they really kind of have him drilled into that role at this point and he's excelling mm-hmm. um it, it's been really nice to see he we talk about you know young guards with all-star potential on this team i'd probably bet on shake making an all-star team before maxi uh, I know oh, a lot of, of fans are excited about Maxi. I, uh, but I mean, Shake's so much further along at this point. He fits much better next to Embiid and Simmons. Uh, at some point, if he keeps doing what he's doing, they're gonna have to start him. Uh, we we aren't maybe there yet. I think Danny Green and Curry have both done a tr- tremendous job in their roles, but Green less so. But Shake's Shake's been really good, and he's gonna be a really important piece. For a long time, he's on maybe the best contract in basketball. So I think this, if Elton Brand deserves credit for anything, it's that shake contract. <laughs> um, Can yeah. you possibly, the Sixers have the worst and the best contracts in basketball at the same time. Yeah, they might have. That's nuts, that might isn't it? It's is a pretty strong case for having the, the worst contract in Tobias and the best hey, with shake. Can I, can I jump in and say that I've been on the shake train since he came into the league and it's not that I followed him at SMU or anything like that, but I just remember watching him play summer league his rookie year. And then when he came in, there was all this hype about Markel Fultz and Markel was already one year in and everyone was expecting this, some type of improvement and it wasn't happening. But then here comes this guy, Shake Milton. And I remember watching him and juxtaposing their play. And I'm thinking, all right, Fultz looks like he's shaking in his boots out there, right? But Shake looked like he belonged. And so I've been really impressed by his his play, like everyone else. And mm. I, I would say, Chris, that so I, I don't know if it was you or Lucas who said he's the third best player. I think he's probably the second best offensive player on the team after Embiid. Because what Shake can do, getting his own shot, finishing at the rim, scoring at all levels – I think he might be the second best uh, offensive player. So, so Chris actually yeah. did say second best when he introduced the subject. So that was a joke. oh, he did. Oh, okay, yeah. I, but yeah. he was joking. But no, I don't. I it's not a it's not an unreasonable take to have Uriah. And just to piggyback off of what you both said, I've already written about in the past how I believe Maxi and Shake are the front court of the future. That means sliding Ben down to a forward position, if assuming that Ben's still on the team. I believe that those two can be the future. I I like Maxi starting over Shake right now. I think Shake, you know, people talk about Shake's confidence, but I I think that having him off the bench first for now is much better for his confidence in the long run versus starting him. Because I feel like whenever he starts with Ben and Joel, like there's always like that, oh, where do I fit in, especially with Tobias and, you know, whoever else is starting. Like 
I feel like he still defers too much and he when he starts. And I think having him come off the bench for this season is a smart move. And I do agree with you, Chris. I think he will be an all-star. He has a better chance of getting an all-star bid first before Maxi. But that's just because he has three years ahead of him. You know, that's 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 the way I see it, developmentally wise. And plus, he was a yeah. he was a senior when he came in. He he graduated. He came into the draft as as a senior versus Maxi as a freshman. So there's that you know just that big like gap there. But I don't think it's by a mile that shit gets an all star or not. I think they both can yeah, be all stars. I, mean, I want to be clear. I'm not like projecting that both of them are going to make an all star game at some point. I, I think it could, it's possible. I think it's possible, but that's still a lot to put on Maxi and, and Shake, frankly, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, Shake's just, he looks like a really, really, really solid NBA player. You mentioned his, his poise, Uriah. I think that's a big part of his game. He doesn't get sped up. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't have that burst, that explosiveness, but he changes pace really well. He, he's shifty. He, he, he knows how to use his frame and he, he's going to be a really big part of this team moving forward. I think there's a real chance that he, like the starting lineup next season is probably, Joe, Ben, Tobias, Shake, and Curry. I think that might be where we're going if if we don't get a Ben trade and if Danny and Picks aren't flipped for someone significant. So I I really do think Shake is heading uh, in a very promising direction. So Lucas, looking at Shake right now, do you, would you call him the front runner for Sixth Man of the Year? Obviously, uh, the other notable candidates, Lou Will, is only averaging nine a game right now. Montrez Harrell has, has seen his role decrease a bit with the Lakers. You got guys like Jordan Clarkson and Chris Boucher who have put together really strong campaigns. But, you know, Boucher's on a losing team right now. Do you think Milton is, is the front runner for that award? I guess it depends what happens with Karis LeVert. If, Kara, if, the, if the Harden trade didn't happen and he stayed in Brooklyn, then he would have had a strong, uh, probably stronger case than Shake. Uh, that being said, he's in Indiana now. Once he gets over whatever uh, you know abscess they saw on his um, in his MRI, I think he'll probably be starting for them. So, as far as I'm concerned, yes, I don't see why Shake wouldn't be the front runner at this point. I can't think of any other worthy candidates, and uh, Chris Boucher is probably more of a uh, candidate for most improved versus Sixth Man of the Year. I mean, first off, I like. Best wishes to Karis. Hope, hope it's a speedy recovery. Hope he's not, uh, it's not a serious problem or anything with his, uh, the mass they found on his kidney. That's obviously very concerning. But, uh, I do think he'll start in Indiana once they get him. I think he's kind of the heir, heir apparent to Oladipo in that sense. Um, like we said, 16.9 points. 3.7 assists per game for Shake right now, 50.4% from the field, which is pretty remarkable for a guard who has the role that Shake has. He's been extremely efficient. And last night against Memphis, notwithstanding, he's pretty much, it's him and Joe who have like the ball in their hands late in games. Like Shake is pretty clearly one of the better closers on this team. That's not necessarily the ideal setup. Um, you know, ideally you'd have more established closer on the perimeter, but as is shake is really important to this team. The Sixers are going to win a lot of games. He's going to be the big guy off the bench on a team that has won a lot of games and is probably going to have home court advantage in the East. So I definitely think he's going to be in that sixth man of the year conversation. I would say he'd be in the most improved conversation too, but I think Christian Wood and Jeremy Grant have kind of made that a two horse race. 
at this point. Yes, I, I agree. I think that the, those two are probably the front runners, though. It would be interesting. It will be interesting to see who would get it out of those two. Just side note, because they're both former Sixers, so we can definitely talk about this for a second. For most improved between those two, who do you have, Chris? Um, I, I mean, it, it's tough. I, I, I don't have their stats memorized or in front of me right now. I Can you pull them up. Yeah, I would probably lean Christian Wood just because Houston's a better team than Detroit. Not that Houston's a particularly great team right now, but both of them are are really have been just off the charts offensively. I don't think anyone expected that from Jeremy, especially I think everyone kind of expected a leap from Wood this season. Uh, he didn't get the contract that we all expected he would get, but I think we all kind of saw him saw something coming. Maybe not this. He's averaging 23 and 11 on 52% shooting. I don't know if we expected that, but Grant kind of came out of nowhere. Obviously there's not really anyone else to take shots in Detroit right now. Blake Griffin has had a pretty rough start to the season. Uh, uh, I think it's fair to say that Blake Griffin's probably not going to be Blake Griffin anymore moving forward. Yeah, yeah I think Blake Griffin is uh, over the hill, uh, unfortunately. But Knee injuries, man. Yeah, we got another 60 games to look forward to. I'm sure it'll be much clearer uh, later in the season. But right now, I think those are the pretty two pretty clear front runners. Yeah, my money, I think for the reason that you said, because like we all, I think everybody expected Wood to kind of launch off because he's had two like half seasons where he played really good. It was never a question of talent with Wood. It was a question of opportunity. We all thought that Jeremy Grant at the age of 25, where he was averaging 12 points with the Denver Nuggets, that was his ceiling as I like, uh, okay, like a three and D type, well, a D and three guy, more of a defensive guy that can hit three pointers. Good, you know, finisher around the rim, athletic. This year, though, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming. And maybe Grant, you know, regresses a little bit. But I, I think the fact that it's such a surprise, and yeah, maybe the, the Rockets have a better record, but I think Grant just coming out of the blue here is a, a, improving his efficiency I think from the three point line, you know, I think that's just like it, it seals it for me. I I would choose Grant over Wood just because I I seen I've seen this coming from Wood for years, and I think most people have. And I think Grant's just so out of the blue that I I, I would give it to him. Yeah, I mean, I think again, like right now, they're both probably all all stars. If we got to the break right now, I don't know if it'll say that way. Like well, both I don't of them know have been it's... significantly better than I think anyone could have reasonably predicted. Mm-hmm. But like you said, narrative typically drives this award. Grant is probably the bigger surprise in that sense. He he bet on himself leaving Denver, who reportedly offered pretty much the same contract that Detroit did. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be paying off for him at the moment. Again, he's averaging almost 25 a game. He's shooting a career high from three, like you said, on double the amount of attempts per game uh, compared to last season, which is just does not happen very often at all. Mm-hmm. Normally when volume goes up, efficiency goes down. That has not been the case with Jeremy this season. It is um, the case with Wood, though. Slightly, yeah. not a big drop. I mean, still. tough look for poor BC, who who traded him for Ursan Ilyasova. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> Could use a guy like Grant right now. Well, yeah, we? a lot of a lot of BC's moves have not aged particularly well, but mm. oh well. Oh well. We move on, though. We move on. Speaking of moving on, let's get to, uh, you know, we talked about Maxi, but he's not the only rookie here that needs to get some praise. We need to bring up Isaiah Joe, the 49th pick of the, of the 2020 draft. Chris, let me ask you this. Is Joe ready for more minutes in Philadelphia? Um, I think so. Uh, again, uh, I think he has been a bit of a surprise. I don't think anyone could have expected expected him to look as ready as he has as early as he has especially defensively he's been pretty solid on that end I expected him to struggle more um he was thrust into minutes rather unexpectedly because of injuries and COVID he wasn't really part of the rotation when the season started but Doc Rivers said as much the other day that he's probably gonna have a chance to get some minutes here in the future uh I don't know if he's going to beat out Matisse Thibel and Mike Scott for that 10th rotation spot, but uh, he probably should. I think we all have a pretty solid understanding of who Mike Scott is as a player at this point. There's not really much uh, room for improvement there, and he's not good defensively. He's a pretty erratic shooter. Joe's a much better offensive player than Scott just by nature of his shooting, and the defense is pretty much a wash if Scott's at his absolute best. So I, I think I would ride with Joe over Scott any day of the week. And I know Uriah probably agree, disagrees with me on, on Matisse, but like uh, as solid as Matisse has been for defensively for stretches this season, he's an absolute zero offensively. He does pretty much nothing good on that end yet. He, he He's a pretty big liability and you can't really have that with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Whoa, whoa. He hit a couple of threes the other night, my man. Hold yeah. on. Hold okay. On. No defense is guarding Matisse. <laughs> no defense is going to take him seriously, especially not in the playoffs. And when you build the team around Joel and a guy who can't shoot outside three feet and who doesn't like to shoot inside three feet as much as we would like it's really hard to have another player on the floor who cannot reliably space the floor who cannot dribble and who does not do much of anything else wait a minute so, you guys just you, got you can go you can go ahead wait, before i retort go ahead you guys you guys just got finished talking about two players that were let go prematurely who are now almost all stars okay christian okay. wood and of and of course uh, Grant. So if you if you let those guys go that early, and that's on Colangelo, why not just be patient and see what Matisse can do? I, I think if you okay. let him go now, you're two, you're you're gonna miss out. Two things. Matisse is already twenty three, twenty four. He's not young. He's not a, a spring chicken. He's pretty old for his status in the league. Grant is only twenty six, so he's not far off from Grant. Wood is only. 25. So it's not like there's a big age gap there even now. Matisse is much smaller than Grant. He's not the same athlete as Grant. He's a great athlete, but he's not, he doesn't have the size and he's not the same type of defender that Grant was. I think Grant was always better offensively and showed more promise as both a shooter and, and a slasher than, than Matisse did. So I think they're different players. Uh, I mean, Matisse just doesn't – his shot doesn't look good. I, I think everyone 
I don't see him getting better unless he overhauls the form. He he doesn't have any touch. I just don't see him really making the leap offensively that, that those guys have. So maybe you're well, right. Maybe in a few years he, he figures something out and like finds a magic potion, but I, wait, I, I don't see it. Well, 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 okay, you're right. Let me, let me come to your defense here because right. I, I will say this. I think that he sh- – I think Matisse Thibel – should be the ninth man in the rotation. I think Isaiah Joe should be the tenth man in the rotation. And you just take out Fort Con Cork Moss. Absolutely not. I I, I do no, I do I believe. And let me well let me let me transition this. Let me let me We're transition this, Chris. Best players. Yeah. We're talking about building a second unit that functions around Joe and Yeah, and I think Isaiah it's... Joe functions better than Fort Con Cork Moss. Let me okay. I mean not Fort Con Cork. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, no. Let me explain, Chris. Can, can I explain this? <laughs> Can I explain this first? Please. Try. Okay. Okay. So this is what I'm thinking here. For if we're building a okay, you need to have a somebody that's a plus defender on the perimeter coming off the bench. That's Thibault. That makes sense to me. Yes, he's limited offensively, but you can make sure that he's not on the floor with both Joel and Ben. You just make sure he's on the floor with one of them, preferably Joel. You stagger the minutes that way. Secondly, when it comes down between Corkmaz and Joe. This is what I'm thinking. I honestly believe Joe's already a better defender than Cork Maz is, and he's only going to get better once he adds muscle this upcoming offseason, because let's face it, he probably will. The Sixers training staff won't let him breeze by at that weight. That being said, I honestly think he's more consistent of a shooter. Now, he doesn't have the mid-range shot that Cork Maz does, or, you know, in, but he's more of a if, if consistent shooter and more efficient in my opinion because i think this past week he shot over 50 percent from the three-point line only shooting below 40 in one game chris come on now he's averaging seven points on the season this past week he averaged 12 over 12 points per game he he's already proving to be a better player than cork Maz is and i think he's only going to get better as the season goes on and he's already more of a competent defender so you yeah, switch, you switch totally out Cork Moss for Joe might be better than Furcon, uh, but I'm still picking Furcon over Matisse every day of the week. Furcon gets Furcon gets scorched. He gets scorched on That's defense fine. and on offense. He's shaky. He's he he defers too many times. Joe he lets it fly. Matisse he may not be a better shooter, but defensively he's much more valuable. Then one, I think yeah, that's that's what I defense. He's a tremendous off ball defender. He gets a lot of steals and deflections, creates chaos, etc. He's still not a lockdown ISO guy. He's not he's not going to shut down Jason Tatum as we've seen in the playoffs. It's he's not that kind of defender. He's not going to get better at that part of unless he plays. I understand, but Furkan has pretty tangible chemistry with Joe and Ben at this point. He's looked much better this season. He was a serviceable guy last year. And again, I, I think at this point, you just put as much shooting around Joe as you can and let Joe pass out of doubles. He's been much better in that respect, as we've said many times on this podcast, as we've remarked about on the site. Joe has to be confident in the guys he's passing to in order to take advantage of that part of his game. And I don't know if he's going to be confident swinging it out to Matisse in a critical moment, but he he might be if, if it's Frick on. You can afford to have some 
less than great defenders on the floor with Embiid. He's one of the few guys who lets you get away with all offense around him because he's so good as, as a defensive anchor. So I, I think you just load up on shooting. You have the rotation be Shake, Dwight, Joe, Furkan, and, and, and Maxi, and you, you let it fly. And that's another thing with like Maxi is not a, a, a respectable shooter really at this point either. Defenses are going to start sagging off of him, especially in the playoffs. Him and Thibel together is going to be a tough beat. So if you really well, want to. I'll say this. Maxi, too. It won't matter in the end because uh, it, we're only talking regular season here because when it comes down to the playoffs, the only three players that are going to be in the rotation, there's only going to be three players off the bench because Doc goes down to the eight man rotation during the playoffs. I've studied Doc long enough to know that. And I'm pretty sure Shake and Dwight are locks. And probably the third one is probably going to be Maxi at this point. So, yeah. That being said, you know. I think, I think, this is my take. I'm sure Uriah will yell at me. I absolutely think the Sixers should sell high on Thibault as, as long as they can and get someone who makes more sense in context of this roster. I think Thibault wow. is an NBA player. I think he can be successful somewhere else, but it's not going to be in Philly where they, they need a comp, where they need, you know, a player who can do something on offense. Send him to OKC or something in a George Hill trade. Let him develop there and get really him. Here's my here's my retort. Here's my retort to that. I never thought I would say this, but we actually already have enough shooters on this team. And in terms of defenders, wing players that can elevate their game when we need them most uh, in the playoffs when defense is, is much more tighter and, and significant. I, I think I think Furkan in the playoffs is is the biggest liability on the bench defensively. I agree with that. What about Furkan? I, um, I mean, like Joe has had some pretty solid moments defensively, but he has also been extremely mistake prone. He's fouled shooters in critical moments. Uh, Furkan has looked better defensively this season than he did last year. I'm not saying he's been good, but. Uh, again, like Joe is such a unique player, and with Ben, I think you can get away with having some some negative defenders on the floor if they're making up for it offensively. And I think Furkan can make up for it offensively, whereas Thibel is just someone the defense can ignore, and it allows them to tune in more to what Joe and Ben are doing, and that makes things tougher for the rest of the offense. Well, okay, let's let's just pause it there, and I'm just going to switch gears real quick, and I'm just going to ask you this, Chris. Do you think Doc Rivers will keep on playing Joe when Furkan comes back? Uh, I mean, once Furkan and Thibel and Scott are all healthy, probably not. But okay. we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I think it's should, a toss-up. I don't. I wouldn't bet on it. I think. I think we got our quotas of rookies getting playing time with Maxi this year, regular playing time. So I think you're right there. Sadly, I think that Joe will have to add muscle this offseason in order to f- take over Corco Maz's spot in the rotation next year. But I think it's time for Uriah's social media question of the week. Uriah, go ahead. So the question of the week is down by three, last possession. Which five players do you put on the court? And there were eight players that were selected – uh, and people added players that they wanted to add, which was fine. But so 
just looking at all the three-point shooters we have now, we have Tobias Harris, Danny Green, Seth Curry, Mike Scott, Therese Maxey, Furkan Korkmaz, Isaiah Joe, and Shake Milton. I'd say that Twitter was pretty basic with their responses. I think Facebook has some really entertaining ones. Um, Shannon S. Donaldson said on Facebook, damn, we got shooters. Shake Joe, Seth, Tobias, Joel. William Strunk, uh, being sarcastic, he said, Joel, Tobias, Shake, Seth, and Ben, because he'll be left wide open. <laughs> and uh, let's see, Russell Sean, he said, best three-point shooting starting five in the NBA. Never thought we'd hear that. So uh, let's go with Chris. Uh, who would you put in in the last seconds of a game down by three? What would be your, your five on the floor? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just going to start with I think Joe should be on the floor. I, I think you go with, like, star players make star plays type of thing where – We've already seen Joe hit a couple big shots this season. You've seen him do it in the past. I I think you put your best player on the floor, and if it comes down to him making something happen, you you hope that he can. Obviously, Shake I think and Curry are pretty easy shoe-ins here. Tobias too, just to have someone who can maybe hit hit a reliable pull up. And then the fourth guy, it's between you know Furkan and. And Isaiah Joe, probably. Uh, do I think they would put Joe in a critical game situation? Probably not. But I'll go with Furkan just because he has experience. He's hit big shots in the past. So that'll be my five. It'll be Joe, Tobias, Furkan, Shake, and Seth Curry. So I'm going to go a little different here. I'm going to have Ben Simmons inbounding it because that just makes sense to me. Then you don't have to worry. So then you have you, you keep Joel in there because he's our best player. You don't take your best player out at the end of the game. So that leaves three spots. And I'm thinking about this: who out of these guys have clutch genes in their in their DNA? We know Danny Green has hit some pretty big shots back. Uh, didn't he hit the? No, he hit a game winner versus Miami back when he was in San Antonio, right? At least one during the NBA finals. Um, so Danny Green's in there just because I know he, he can hit those same thing with Cork Musk as we saw last, the beginning of last year. So then that leaves that third spot and I'm torn between either Seth Curry or shake Milton Cause I think shake Milton can have ice in his veins, but I also believe in that Curry gene as well. And I think I'm going to go Shake because I know Shake can create a shot a little bit better than Curry, whereas the other two are just spot-up shooters. So that's that's where I go. You're leaving Curry Curry off. It's not. If I keep Curry on, I'm taking Danny Green off. I mean, yeah. I, I get the bin inbounding thing, but I guess it really depends on how much time is on the clock because if you want the inbounder to then be part of the play, you can't really do that with Ben. Well, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. we have less than three seconds. Yeah, if it's like half a second on the clock and whoever catches it shoots it, then I'll probably have Ben inbound too. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's, you, have that's... Have, you have to have Curry in there. That's a no-brainer. Green, yeah, I, yeah he has experience, but I, I'd rather have Curry on the floor. Yeah, I, I think I'll take out Green and have Curry. So mine is Shake Curry, Corkmaz, Joel, and Ben. Ben inbounding. Assuming that we're like five seconds or less. If it's like 
last possession like a full 24 then i'll swap out ben for green but that that's that's what i'm thinking anyway yeah i i should have i probably could have given a little more context but um i guess people's imagination took them where they wanted to go anyway which is why a lot of people when they saw the pictures they say where's Embiid?" and i i didn't even think i figured he automatically would be on the floor but but yeah i mean Embiid. If he's on the floor, he definitely has the ability to hit a big shot. But you definitely need to have uh, Curry on the floor. And I, I wouldn't even mind having uh, Cork Moss because he's proven in the past that he can hit a big shot when the game is on the mm-hmm. line. So that's, I guess that's that's about it. I mean, I would like to see eventually Maxi make it into this conversation, but he's not there yet. And Tobias has proven time and time again he hasn't. He hasn't hit big shots. Yeah. And I do think it's kind of notable that Ben Simmons is your number two player and we're like, maybe he shouldn't be on the floor in big moments. I think that's a pretty big, obviously not every star shoots threes. Uh, A lot of the big men don't, but I think it's a pretty big indictment on him that, you know, final seconds of the game, it's like maybe best if he's just out of the way. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I can think of two occasions that he gave up the ball on a game-winning position. One, he gave it up. I remember one time uh, two years ago, he gave the ball up to, like, he was getting ready to shoot a three, and then Jimmy Butler was trailing behind him, so he, like, shoveled the ball back behind to Butler, and Butler was the one that, you know, took the shot, and I think he missed. And then Ben was driving. I remember this was early in the season last year. Ben was driving and he was getting ready to take a shot within like 10 seconds of the final, you know, final 10 seconds. And then he, he kicked the ball back out to uh, Al Horford and Al Horford missed the shot. Yeah. So that's, that's just pretty telling. Like he doesn't want to take that. He, he, instead of seizing the moment, he's trying to make the best basketball play. And when you're in that type of moment, sometimes you just have the season and he doesn't do that. Let me, let me tell you something. You show me a number one pick other than the biggest bus, like, like Anthony uh, Bennett or anybody like that. But you show me any number one player that's ever been picked in any NBA draft, afraid to shoot the last shot of a game. It, It just doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. Well, I guess we can call Fultz one of the best, but yeah. Uh, you have to exclude the the Philly uh, the Philly yeah. guys. Yeah, your your number one draft pick is afraid to shoot. It's it's just out of hand at this point. I, I'm exhausted. I didn't even put it on the agenda because it's just exhausting. Um, but yeah, it's we know where we stand with Ben. He is who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's a dream. I think he can be a third best player on a championship team low usage type of guy facilitator, but he's not going to be the second or first option. That's not him. He's more of a Draymond green guy, but he's not even Draymond green because yeah. Draymond can play off the ball. I mean, I mentioned yeah. Draymond in my article, but like that, that's, yeah, that's really where I pulled like that Draymond. from. It's really not a fair comparison to him, but also like, not to say that Ben isn't a smart player because he obviously is, but Draymond is just on another level. Ben makes so many boneheaded decisions. Ben is a very willing and he passes a lot, but he doesn't always make the smartest pass. He telegraphs a lot of passes. He he stops his dribble in random spots. Like Draymond is 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 so meticulous and like 
surgical with how he plays the game, and that's really not how Ben operates. So even that, I, I hesitate to like bring that up as a comparison. Well, Chris, who would be a good comparison then? I don't know. No one. <laughs> I don't really know <laughs> there has to be somebody. I don't know. Not really. I, I, I think Ben's kind he's of... He's not Magic somebody. Johnson. And he's hate, not Michael Carter-Williams either. I hate when people on social media, they'll they'll post a picture of Ben next to Dennis Rodman. And they'll say, oh, Dennis Rodman, he, he got 28 rebounds and scored zero points. Well, he's a, he's a power forward who doesn't need to come out to the perimeter. Ben Simmons is your point guard. Should Ben be our point guard or should he be a power coming, coming for moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just that he's kind of been shoved into the point guard role his whole career. He, he hasn't really had a chance to play off ball much at all except for that that postseason run with Jimmy. And that was probably his best, like, high stakes basketball of his career. Probably pretty telling. So, no, I don't think he should be, like, the only ball handler on the floor, which he is way too often. I don't think that's his skill set. And I think he's it's not right now with Max D. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, when the team's healthy, he's Maxie's not a starter, and not yet. No, love Maxie. He, I don't really want him on the floor the last two minutes of a playoff game yet. Yet, maybe we get there sooner than I expect, but I don't know if we're there yet. Well, okay. Question: Do you think Curry can be that secondary ball handler, or do you think Shake Mill needs to be that secondary ball handler? I mean, yeah. I mean, Shake and Curry can all dribble and but i mean they i think if you're going to really maximize this window with Embiid, you need like an elite level perimeter creator if you're going to win at the highest level of, of playoff basketball you need someone like that all all the best playoff teams have one you know it's lebron it's jamal murray whoever the sixers just don't have a guy like that yet it, it's really tough to win without one uh harden was obviously a very a, a great chance to get one they didn't Bradley Beal would make a lot of sense. Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Kyle Lowry, if Toronto is is having a, a bad day and they make a poor decision, you know. Well, I mean, we could offer them stuff. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't take Tobias in a couple of picks for Kyle at this point. but You wouldn't? No. I mean, if... It, well, I mean, well, the only other I way that we can get Raptors him is if we thing. like package Green, Scott, Ferguson, and Thibault together to get him. Yeah, I mean, if if it there's a fix. way to do it that way, then sure. But, but you like, wouldn't from give up Toronto's Tobias? perspective, you're probably still trying to win with Pascal. I don't want to lock myself into Siakam and Harris as my core duo for the foreseeable future. It's just too bad a contract. It's not yeah. like that. Like obviously Philly should happily do it. It's just I hesitate to like say any team should take on Tobias Harris right now. <laughs> well, okay. If you're Toronto, would you do let's just say Danny Green, Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson, Thibel, and two first round picks. One one unpro- the closest one unprotected. The second one being uh, lottery protected. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's something to consider, but at the end of the day, that's basically Thibault and two picks for, for Kyle Lowry, and I think other teams would probably outbid them, so it's tough. But 
I think we got to wrap it up. We're, we're at the end of the road here uh, for this week's episode. As always, to our listeners, we really appreciate you you tuning in and giving us the time of week to talk Sixers basketball. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you're coming from, please leave us a review. Give us a rating. We would really appreciate it. It would help us out quite a bit. Go read all our wonderful content on the site. We've had some great uh, contributor pieces lately. A lot of stuff about James Harden. A lot of stuff about Ben Simmons. Potential trade targets. You name it. We got it. Uh, We highly recommend that you go read that. And we will be back next week with some more uh, Sixers content. So we'll talk to you all then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.